Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. We're talking all things gravel for our new seven-part podcast series here on Bike Radar, hosted by yours truly, Catherine Moore. From getting kitted out with the best gear for you to route planning, dipping your toes into gravel racing and simply why we love hitting the path less travelled, we've got a mega panel of special guests and in-house experts lined up for you. Welcome back for episode three of our gravelly series here on the Bike Radar podcast. Last week, we looked at how to choose the best gravel bike for you, and this time we're taking a deeper dive into gravel bike setup. To help us navigate this topic, we're chatting to Viren Gozi Sambrook, an avid adventure cyclist who was thrown in at the deep end last year when she was awarded the 2021 Ultra Distance Scholarship and prepared to take on the 1,600-mile Pan-Celtic race. We're also joined by Bike Radar's Felix Smith, a fellow long-distance cyclist and gravel enthusiast who does know a thing or two about bike setup. Felix has raced the supremely hilly Irish Ultra route, the Transatlantic Way, as well as raced in Grand Juro and the Dirty Reaver here in the UK. Last, but by no means least, lifelong mountain biker turned gravel convert Tom Marvin is joining us. With nearly a decade of bike testing experience under his belt, Tom's take on gravel kit and setup options from a mountain biker's perspective is a really fascinating one. He's also just about to go and ride a chunk of the European Divide bikepacking route, so perhaps Tom will be taking notes from Vera and Felix here too. Welcome everyone to the Bike Radar podcast. Hello Catherine. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So we've got a really nerdy one today, which I'm very excited about. We covered a very broad look at gravel bikes last week um, with choosing the gravel bike, but now it's really delving down into the details of specifically the bike setup for you and for the kind of events you want to be doing. So there's loads of different aspects of gravel bike setup to look at, whether it's gearing or braking choice, 650B wheels, 700 different tires. But I think the fundamental is how you're seated on the bike and your bike position. So, Tom, you've come from a mountain biking background into gravel riding. Has that changed your position on the bike significantly? How does it feel in comparison? Uh, I'm not sure it has changed my particular position on on a gravel bike um i'm a bit of a uh, i like a racy gravel bike much as i i, I ride road bikes occasionally and I, I like a very race focused road bike and i think that's probably had more of an impact on my uh, gravel bike setup um i guess partly because i'm more comfortable well i wouldn't say i'm comfortable in a racy setup but i like being in an aggressive position on a drop barred bike um and i think my mountain bike background maybe has helped me with the confidence aspect to be in that aggressive position on the bike. We chatted in episode one of the podcast about how uh, if you're if you're new to gravel, the, the, the feeling of your tyres losing traction can be a little bit daunting for some people. But obviously, having mountain biked for 20 years, that for me is, is almost part of the fun. Um, and so I think, you know, if we're talking about uh, gravel as a whole, you have everything from super aggressive race bikes that maybe are a little bit more sketchy or a bit more twitchy up to like really comfortable sit up and cruisy bikes, which are maybe a little bit safer in terms of their geometry and handling. But personally, I've come from you know that mountain bike background where I'm quite happy with maybe a slightly more aggressive setup. So uh, that's probably um, that's probably where I sort of sit on the on the setup side of things and on the shaping thing. I think. Um, one of the things I sort of had thought about when we were talking about this podcast was in mountain biking, position on the bike isn't something that's discussed very much. 
you can you buy your bike and yeah you might think about the the reach and the seat tube length and and the geometry from a handling perspective but i think on the road side of things there's a little bit more of a focus or maybe there should be a bit more of a focus on the bike fit and how it fits your body shape and how flexible you are and how, what position you want to be in for how long um and i think from a gravel side of things that's probably something that's a bit more worth considering Hmm. That's really interesting to hear that um, the mountain bike fit because I, you know, I've ride different bikes. I've got the gravel bike, road bike, mountain bike, and I've had a bike fit for my sort of road bike and gravel bike position, but I've not had one for a mountain bike, and it's something I've been considering. But it's it's one of those things I think you don't hear um, talked of much in terms of you know mountain bike setup. Um, no, I think it's something that maybe should be talked about a little bit more. But it, it feels like, I, I guess, on a mountain bike, you're often a little bit more mobile over the position of the bike. You're rarely sat in one position for an extended period of time where the fit comes in. So when, when you've had your um, road and gravel bike fits, have you had a different one? Uh, or has the person who's been doing the, the bike fit suggested different things for your gravel bike to your road bike? Or No, it's, it's much the same for me, really, because I'm, I'm I go for endurance riding. So it's a it's quite it transfers quite easily across because it's a more relaxed upright position so all that's different really between my road bike and my gravel bike because I just change the wheels from my gravel bike to thinner, to thinner ones and everything else is, is pretty much the same. Nice whereas I suppose that would be quite different if for example you uh, had a very aggressive sort of cafe or club ride position on your road bike you know when you're only going out for a couple of hours versus uh, you know a, a gravel bike that's designed to tackle steep rooty tech it could be completely different but that's very that's fascinating I guess because you're coming at it from an endurance standpoint that you just need to be comfortable on those bikes for really long periods of time how about you Felix does that sort of apply to you or do you vary your position quite greatly across different bikes yeah um so I guess I've you know come from a similar position to Vera really um been a bit more endurance focused um but I guess like last year if I looked at what I chose to ride for Grinduro, which is definitely more of an aggressive kind of trail. Um, like, you, you know, you're going down some mountain bike trails, which are quite fun. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> compared, to, compared to my bike setup for that for that event, compared to Dirty Reaver, which is a bit more of a <clears throat> much, much longer longer event. Um, I, I didn't really, I guess I didn't really do a huge amount different, but the main things were, so that the height of uh, so my front the front end height basically to put it simply um for dirty reaver i wanted something that was quite quite high quite sort of more relaxed because i didn't want to get halfway around and have um yeah back yeah back ache or um yeah i just wanted to do the distance and have a bit of fun whereas for grinduro there were a few kind of hill climb sections um as well as as well as kind of mountain bike trails so I had a bit more of a neutral kind of position for that. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, there's loads of different setup things that, I, uh, that you could go into. But uh, overall, kind of position-wise, it wasn't a great deal different between those two events, but some subtle changes um, with the height. Definitely. I think the thing that I find most noticeable when I hop between my road bike and my gravel bike is simply the use of flared bars and this is something that's, that's really quite common um, across different gravel bikes it could be the same position on the hoods or slightly flared at the tops but then much more flared at the ends of the drops is this something that any of you use on your gravel bike setups 
My gravel bars are definitely, I think they've got about 16 degrees of flare. I quite, I, I like the way that that is. I, I spend, you know, if you're riding sort of more technical descents off road, I tend to drop down onto the drops to give a sort of better hold on the brakes rather than sort of sitting on the hoods and, and feeling like I'm going to pop over the front. And I, I've often found when I've had like very little flare, you know, a couple of degrees or whatever, I find that the inside, because it's quite shallow drop as well, like the inside of my wrists sort of like catch on the, on the the radius of the tops and I find that quite annoying especially sort of if you negotiate in more technical trains so yeah having a flared bar I think really helps off-road well, yeah with the technical stuff and another thing that I just thought of there Tom was um when you are sort of breaking down a down a descent a steeper descent on drop bars and you're in the drops it's being able to grab the brake levers properly um I don't have the longest fingers in the world and I think um <laughs> I'm not by no means they're not short um so I think, so yeah, I think, um, you know, I think making sure that your levers are in the right position is is pretty key. Definitely. And that's something that costs, costs absolutely nothing to change. And it, you know, could be a five, 10 minute job that could make just your general position and being able to reach and com- confidently, comfortably control the brakes much, much easier. I don't think you're able to adjust every single type of break um but that's definitely one you can check in on especially if you have slightly smaller hands like me and another thing about the flared bars um while we're on the subject and Vera will probably agree with me here is that it just gives you so much more space for stuff up front so like getting a wider handlebar roll is that something that you do Vera so I actually haven't got flared bars it's something I'd love to try but because my bike doubles a lot as I'm just I'm literally changing between 28 mil wide tires and 45 gravel and road I've just got the sort of standard handlebars, even when I'm off-road. So I've not had the joy of using flared bars. I'd really love to try that. And I would love more real estate up front because that is often an issue when I'm bikepacking. I've got the, the really narrow width and I have to squeeze everything between that. So, so yeah, I, I do look forward to having a go at having flared bars on my, my bike, but not yet at the moment. <laughs> Mm, I think it's a bit of a game changer in fact going back to road bikes I just then feel like really tucked in and (laughs) tiny which is great for aerodynamic benefits of course but yeah that sort of stability that you get going down over the rough stuff with flare bars is really great Tom or Felix have either of you tried those super wide bars that are like on trend in gravel at the moment what are your thoughts on those um I've not tried some Our, our former colleague Matthew Loveridge one day presented me with some utterly ridiculous wide <laughs> drop bars. PNWs. PNWs, yeah. Uh, I can't remember how wide they were, but they were silly. Uh, and I said I'd put them on my bike. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this. And then I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. I mean, at what point do you, do you not just think, let me just have a standard sort of straight bar like a mountain bike? Uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the debate, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess a, a longer, a wider bar will slow down your uh, cornering. Mm-hmm. So um, I think going from maybe one extreme to another is, you know, it's going to have a massive impact on mm-hmm. on the handling of the bike. So I think if you are thinking about changing up, you know, maybe it's a good idea to try smaller steps. Um, that's that's very straight. wise yeah. and sensible. Also, aesthetically, <laughs> those really wide bars look ridiculous, and I ain't putting that on my bike. <laughs> and I ride, I've got one of those grit forks, one of those loud suspension forks on my bike, but I ain't putting silly wide bars on mine. You've got to think, you've got to stop somewhere. <laughs> nice. So that's position. I think a really good place to move on to next be some of the group set aspects. So gearing and braking. 
Could I ask one more position question though before we do? Yeah, go for it. Seat position on the seat post is something that I don't consider very much on my gravel bike, but I consider all the time on my mountain bike because I'm always striving for the steepest possible seat angle on my mountain bike because I find on steep climbs it really helps with my position over the cranks. It makes it feel more efficient and more comfortable on prolonged steep climbs. But on my gravel bike, I just sort of plonk it in the middle and stick with my 72.5 degree seat angle, I think. Is that something that you guys play around with, sort of changing the effective seat angle with your saddle position, or is that something you just ignore? Was it, did it come to the bike fit? Yeah, it's not something that's that came into my bike fit at all, or something that I've ever considered actually altering. Um, it's sort of kept the same, really. Yeah. Because with, with a saddle, you can you could pretty much get about a degrees alteration in your effective saddle angle from, from moving the saddle up and down the rails, but... I think that's a really interesting point and something that I have struggled with a lot uh, you know, over the last couple of years testing gravel bikes. I always struggle with reach. And I think women in general have longer legs and shorter torsos. And also the new GRX um, shifters are just really quite long. So you put them onto a standard bar and on almost every bike, even if it's a size small, I'm like really stretched out. So things like shortening the stem length and then sort of shuffling the saddle forwards a little bit um, on the seat post as sort of standard things for me for setup. I agree with that. I mean, as my gravel, yeah, my gravel bike's a custom build. And the thing that I've always suffered from, I'm the average height of a male in the UK, which is about five foot 10, five foot 11. But my proportions are very long legs, short torso. So whenever I've gone for getting a bike, all the frame sizes sort of, they just... The, the, the top tube's too long and I'm constantly struggling, even with the shortest stem that I could get my hands on. That's always been a struggle. And that's the one benefit I found of getting the custom build because I'd always try and get the shortest stem as possible to the point where it's getting a bit a bit ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, um, and yeah, that's the same as well with the hoods and, and, and that that spacing in terms of reaching for your brakes and, and that sort of thing is always a challenge to get. Yeah, back. and I think there's certain things you can yeah. do. Like you can get some bars that are, are really short across the tops. Um, I'm sure there's a technical word for that. The extension, <laughs> is it? The shorter reach bars, perhaps, which help to negate that a little bit. But I think it is quite interesting. I think Liv is the only bike brand that makes bikes with the geometry specifically for women rather than um, just altering finishing kit. And I think there there could be, you know, a good argument for that in these sorts of cases where, you know, body geometry is significantly different and then the components that we use are a bit reachier than standard, for example. So quite quite a fascinating one. I'm I'm interested to hear that you're you have similar issues in that respect. So moving on to gearing and braking and group sets, there are so many different options when it comes to gravel bikes. And I think definitely something that you'll see spec in many different combinations compared to if you're shopping for a road bike, for example, where it tends to be fairly standardized. I'm gonna do a quick straw poll. One by or two by Felix? Two by recent contact. Tom? Oh. One by and never ever touching a foot neck again in my life. <laughs> Vera? Um, two by. <laughs> well, I'm one by as well. So we've we're, that shows you even between just the four of us, we're split dead down the middle. Um, so, Tom, why do you love one by? I love the simplicity of it. I hate front derailleurs. Um, I like the way that the uh, access group set on my bike shifts. And I'm running a mullet setup. So I have a road bike. Uh, shifters, uh, force ones, uh, paired 
through the magic of wireless encryption uh, to a mountain bike uh, SRAM XX1 rear mech and a mountain bike 10 to 52 tooth cassette. So I have a 520% gear range. And yes, I don't have those small steps between all my gears, um, but I've never found myself really wishing for that on a gravel ride. Now on a road bike, two by all the way, but on a gravel bike, doesn't bother me. Nice. Vera, would you, what would your counter argument be for two by? So two by, um, for me, it's the, those smaller changes in, in gearing. I just find that a lot more comfortable. I get really annoyed when I've got, you know, when my cadence or things has to change very much. So, um, having those smaller graduations for me, that's the, the winner, um, on the two by and also just the bigger range. Um, and cause for a gravel bike, you know, when I'm going on my adventures, it does involve quite a bit of road sometimes to get there or in sections. And it's, it's, it's much nicer to have that big range where I can get to the top, top speed. Um, you know, quite easily as well, um, but also still be able to to spin up those he- those hills. So it, it's just the range that it gives me is is amazing. Yeah, but yeah um, I do envy the simplicity of one bike. I do enjoy <laughs> that off my mountain bike, but uh, for a gravel bike, I'm quite happy with it with a two bike setup. I think that just goes to show, like two polar opposite answers. You know, there's no there's no right or wrong answer. It just completely comes down to what your personal preference is, what kind of things that you're riding, what's important to you. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a tricky one. And, you know, we spoke in the previous episode about gearing and that a lot of these bikes out of the box are completely overgeared for like typical British gravel riding, for example. Almost every bike that I've ever had, I've ended up putting on a, a tiny chain ring or going for a mullet setup, like Tom mentioned, uh, just to be able to spin up the hills or if you want to put on bags and things um, and put a bit of extra weight on your bike. So it's definitely worth considering making some aftermarket changes if that would suit you better. Absolutely. And I think for me, what I've had to do on, on a road, the road bike I had previously and as well as this, um, my gra- current gravel bike is have one of those derailleur hanger extenders as well because I just I need all the teeth I can get on the back. So I've got an 1142 on the back and a sort of 4832 on the front. And I've got one of those wolf tooth hanger extend, um, extenders and that works really well. And it's really just extended my gearing a lot more and being able to carry loads of bags and uh, go bikepacking and still be able to spin up hills. Um, I had a very funny experience a few years ago when we went to race the Catalonia Trail, which is a small ultra event um, well, I'm not sure if it would qualify as ultra. It's 330 kilometers up into the foothills of the Pyrenees from Girona. And uh, there were a few of us that had traveled in from abroad, but mostly locals. And we were there with our gravel bikes loaded to the hilt with all of our camping gear and, you know, fairly, you know, standard one by uh, sort of 40 tooth chain ring with a 11 to 42 on the back. And then all the locals had almost no gear on their bikes, mountain bikes with huge, great cassettes and tiny chain rings. And we were like, oh, we've done this wrong. <laughs> Turns out that everyone stayed in the refuges, which meant that you didn't have to take all the kit. And we saw why they were all on mountain bikes because it wasn't hugely technical, the riding, but obviously being in the foothills of the Pyrenees, it was incredibly steep. So yeah, I think the kind of riding that we talk about with about gravel riding and ultra distance as well like you don't always have to ride a gravel bike just because it's off-road terrain you know xc bikes rigid mountain bikes also come in really really handy and quite often are geared much better to these sorts of events absolutely (laughs) 
so hydraulic disc brakes are almost universal, I'd say, in most gravel bikes. Um, towards the budget end, you might find quite a few cable-operated mechanical disc brakes. Have any of you tried those, or do you have a preference for hydraulic disc brakes? Felix, have you ever I, tried I, cable discs? Yeah, so I've got good experience because Grinjuro that I mentioned earlier, um, I did that on a, some cable-operated disc brakes. And yeah, like they were, there were some quite steep technical trails and with the disc brakes, I was really struggling to kind of even squeeze hard enough to, to, to kind of slow down. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the obvious kind of differences between hydraulic and, and, and a cable operated disc. That's the, the, the big one. But when you're doing anything technical, it's just, it's so much more important to be able to kind of get the, the right braking compared to if you're riding on the road, it's not quite as I guess the differences aren't quite as stark, but um, I then um, changed bikes for Dirty Reaver and I had GRX, um, the 11 speed version um, with, yeah, I mean, hydraulic disc brakes there was just, I was just so happy going down the first ascent and I was no longer kind of cramping up in my hands as I was coming into it. Um, if anything, it was like, well, okay, yeah, dial, dial back that a little bit. Um, don't want to lock up, go over the bars. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you, especially if you're kind of new to it, I suppose having the confidence in braking is obviously going to be really important because you want to be able to slow down, um, when you want to. Definitely. And I suppose there are some advantages of cable in that it's like super easy to change if you're in the middle of nowhere and you've got a spare cable, for example, rather than, uh, trying to bleed hydraulic brakes, et cetera, and obviously a little bit cheaper. But, um, I think the more people I speak to, the more recommend hydraulic disc brakes as just being that much more powerful. Yeah, I would also add that, yeah, going completely the opposite way, um, if you um, if you've got an old pair of hydraulic brakes that have done like maybe a couple of winters and maybe they're getting a little bit old and they haven't bled, um, I've certainly found that you start getting a few little issues with them, maybe contaminated pads or, or rotors, maybe they need a bit of a bleed and suddenly and maybe the pistons are a bit sticky. And then you've suddenly got a pretty bad pair of brakes. Um, so I think there's a there's another argument there to, that I think um, you know be prepared to maybe service them a bit regu more regularly than you would with a cable operated disc. Um, you know potentially um, that's what I found anyway. So while they're out of the box, they might feel really really good. I think they do definitely require a little bit more maintenance to keep them that way. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to go for another quick straw poll. 650B or 700C? Tom. Uh, proper big 700C wheels. It's <laughs> faster. I thought you were going to say 29 of them. <laughs> Vera? Um, 700 as well. And Felix? 700. Whoa, we've got a full house of 700. That's really interesting. Um, I used to be quite anti-650B, to be honest. Um, when I first started gravel riding, I was very lucky to have a bike that had clearance for 45 mil tyres, which was quite unheard of quite a few years ago. And a lot of bikes are now moving towards more generous tyre clearances. And I just thought that 650B wheels were for people who had bikes uh, that didn't have the tyre clearance, i.e. they should have been designed better in the first place to accept better tyres, <laughs> uh, bigger tyres. And they certainly have their place. Like shorter riders, you can get much better geometry, uh, much more proportional to the frame size. But it's very interesting that we've got a full house of 700C. Any particular reason? I mean, for me, it's just what, again, what 
I sort of was set up with, um, didn't really know much about it at the time. But also the only time I ever heard of 650B was this really lovely short lady in my club. She must be like five foot. And that's the only person I ever heard use 650B. So for me, it was associated with smaller people because I was a small person. I was like, oh, well, I have to go for the, <laughs> the 700 option. But obviously I understand there's, you know, there's, there's, there's different um, differences between them and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I've just stuck to 700 because it just is, I think, more common um, and just haven't had any issues with that. So yeah. Tom, you've never I been tempted? No, no. I think, as I said earlier, I, I quite like an aggressive, like, racy gravel bike. So I've always stuck with maybe slightly narrower, well, not super wide tyres. And I sort of always saw those big bulbous, you know, like two-inch wide tyres on a 650B bike as a something good for, like, if you want to trundle along and enjoy the view. But that's not really been my bag. But um, I have to admit that my views on wide tyres has been challenged recently. I, I went on the launch of the Lauf Segler um and rode that bike which is still an aggressive-ish race gravel bike um but you can fit two inch or 2.2 inch tires in there um and i rode that uh on a ride there with yeah 2.2 inch maxis icon effectively mountain bike tires um and it didn't feel as sluggish as i imagined it might have done so while i will stick to the bigger wheels because um i think from a mountain bike side of things they are faster uh, and i'm tall enough that i don't have to worry about uh, bum clearance yeah maybe my views were a little bit prejudiced uh, in the past. you can be fast on wide tires don't knock it till you've tried it <laughs> exactly that yeah yeah i guess the reason why i'd go for 700c purely practical reason of being able to change tires over a single wheel set i mean gravel wheel sets these days are pretty you know interchangeable between road and and you know mixed surface whatever you want really so being able to just quickly change a tire from, and make your bike more roadworthy and then maybe on the weekend you want to do a big gravel ride great i'll just switch to some wider tires that is like yeah that is pr- practically speaking really really cool to have nice and you've been on the cannondale signups haven't you for your long termer is that something that you switch w- between wheel sets on uh yes yeah um yeah I, I tend to ride with the dynamo wheel actually um with uh yeah, kind of. Actually, I'm quite limited in terms of tire tire clearance because in the winter, I've got mud guards, and uh, if you if you've got mud guards and you do any kind of off roading, any kind of gravel riding, <laughs> you'll know that you just get mud riding. Up super yeah, quick. yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, uh, but in in summer, I um, will actually ride on the road with 32 mil tires, um, which some people might go, "Whoa, what 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 are you doing that for?" That sounds but, um, really comfy. It's really comfy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's uh, yeah. If you you know, you, gravel bikes tend to sometimes be a bit more comfy than road bikes, so the combination is 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 really nice to have, particularly for longer distance. Obviously, if you're racing, um, maybe that's not quite as quite what you want, but for any kind of longer distance stuff, it's yeah, it's comfort for me. Definitely. So on my personal gravel bike at home, I have um, two wheel sets. I'm very lucky to have two 700C wheel sets that are both. Um, I think optimized for gravel, but perfectly fine for road. They have 21 mil internals. And I just have a set of slicks on one of them that measure up at about 32 mil and uh, some knobblies on the others. And that's just really great because you can switch between the two really easily and you don't have to, you know, jiggle your gearing or anything like that. Um, And obviously takes up a lot less space in the garage or if you've, you know, limited on uh, space at home. So that's a handy one. Oh, I was just going to add on that. So I, I go the budget version of that, which is why I haven't gone tubeless on any of my bikes. 
is because I I just changed the actual um, tire. <laughs> um, so I use the same rims and everything, same same wheel, but I'm constantly swapping between twenty eight mil wide tires and forty five gravel from the week to the weekend. So in the week, if I'm doing like riding around a track, I go a lot thinner and I just change that. And then Friday, swap them up for gravel tires and go ride gravel. So I'd love Incredible. To have a Do you have super set, strong thumbs? I was going to say you have strong thumbs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, or, or arthritis at this moment, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know which, but it's a lot of work constantly changing between the two. But it means my uh, my ability to now change punctures real quick yes. has massively improved. But it's also a lot more space saving just to have the... Um, the, the tires to change nice so on the subject of tires do we have any particular recommendations what are you using at the moment vera oh so i'm using um some hutchinson toreg gravel tires um they're tubeless ready but as i said i, I just run tubes in them because i'm constantly changing um but they're really they're really good for um dry gravel <laughs> anything muddy yeah they're, they're not great but for uh, wales gravel is predominantly dry most of the time um yeah, I wouldn't take them to Bristol, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, they 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 uh, they handle pretty well. So yeah, and pretty puncture resistant as well. Haven't had a single puncture on them. Touch wood. Excellent. <laughs> How about yourself, Tom? What are you using at the moment? Uh, I've currently got uh, a Maxxis Rambler on the front uh, and a Bontrager GR2 on the back. Uh, so the front is a 45C, which fits nicely, and on the back is a 40C. Uh, my frame has a 45C max clearance, but obviously living in the southwest, mud uh, is a constant companion. So I've been running 40s, but I am about to fit... Uh, a second 45c rambler on the back because i'm getting somewhere hopefully well fingers crossed drier if it isn't drier i'm going to be a very unhappy young man <laughs> um there is there's a reason i'm leaving the uk for six weeks yeah so yeah 45 45 will be the plan with the ramblers and i, I quite like the rambler tire like it rolls pretty nicely on uh on tarmac and on hard surfaces but has got just enough bite uh to dig through the mud if it does get a bit softer and interesting what you say there. I think I come at it from a total roadie perspective and that you just get a pair of tyres of whatever it is and be done with it. But you've gone for different treads or different uh, Yeah, but I mean, only because like my 40C Rambler was like knackered. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Jez at Trek's great and he, he sent me some, some of his tyres quicker than Max's <laughs> could send me some. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> but there definitely is something to be said, I think, for uh, switching up because you don't need the same qualities um, on the front as you do the rear necessarily yeah no t- totally certainly on a mountain bike i would never very rarely at least run matching tires front and back um from like an aesthetic point of view i might run the same brand front and back and it would be maxis front and back most likely but um i would rarely yeah you, you, your tires do different things on the front you want steering control predominantly and on the back you want braking control and the two tires do different things um so is it normally wider on the front that uh yeah certainly most of the time i would run them fairly fairly similar within sort of 0.5 of uh or be a, a two point i'd run them like a 2.5 on the front and a 2.4 on the back maybe on a mountain bike quite often um and on, on gravel i mean if if i could run wider tires on my uh true grit i would run wider i just um been riding some 50c uh, ramblers and i think that's probably for me like on gravel the best best compromise of of size uh, and weight and rolling resistance and feel um but yeah yeah i'd go slightly wider on the front um personally nice how about you felix what are you running at the moment on your gravel bikes 
Um, so I got WTV Nano tires. <clears throat> oh, the old um, faithful. Which, yeah, yeah, they've been around for a while actually, haven't they? Yeah. What, why would you change it? God yeah. bless the Nano. Um, yeah, yeah. I've almost like there's there's there is something to say in in what you're used to, like the predictability of a tire, um, and changing up isn't always the best thing to do. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I rolled, but. We've uh, we've done a big big old tire test, gravel tire test at Bike Radar, so uh, you can always watch the video on that because um, <laughs> we did do a we've got a great rundown of um, loads of different tires that have been tested. Excellent. What's your tire of choice, Catherine? Are you uh, you're you're a bit of a big wig in the world of gravel tires? <laughs> I have been testing a lot of gravel tires over the last few months. Um, Difficult to pick out any particular one. I've been really impressed by Terra Vale's ease of setup. I've been able to set up all of them with a track pump rather than a pressurized gas or, you know, extra assistance, which is a big bonus. The WTB Nano, it's got this little place in my heart because we've been together for a long time um, and it's always a good, you know, go-to. And also some of the Vittoria um, tyres. I think with Vittoria, you have to be quite careful because you remember that they were developed initially for cyclocross, which is essentially riding through mud and grass. Um, so the puncture resistance in their standard tyres isn't, what you might want for uh for you know gravel and quite spiky rocks and things um but they do offer a carcass that's reinforced which is much better um their terreno dry is really interesting tire that's like almost um slick down the middle with a very uh very low profile sort of honeycomb structure and then much more aggressive knobs on the edge where you really want it for cornering so i really enjoyed that one in particular um just a shame that I had it in the thinner version and I ripped a sidewall on the first ride. <laughs> so yeah, definitely go for the reinforced carcass. And speaking quite... of tearing sidewalls, I know that Tom Marvin will have some opinions on this because I think we've discussed it in the in the office before. Tire inserts are becoming more and more popular in the mountain biking world. Do they work for gravel? Well, I'm hoping to find out as it happens. <laughs> Um, I've, I'm traditionally, I haven't really used inserts hugely on the mountain bikes. Um, I've always gone for, so I, I guess to those who, who aren't sort of sure what we're talking about. So a tire insert is a, a ring of foam usually that, um, goes inside the tire. Um, some of them wrap really tightly around the rim and you sort of push the, uh, tire bead underneath them and in, and it sort of really locks the tire onto the, onto the rim. And some of them kind of float within the tire void. Uh, and the they have two sort of main functions, um, although not all of them do everything. But the two functions really are to protect against pinch punctures. So they when you, when your tire hits like a, a square edge, it it sort of squashes itself down, and a pinch is when um, the the thing that you're bumping over um, and the rim pierce uh, the side walls of the tires. And so having um, a bit of uh, high density foam that sort of sits between those two bits of uh, tire carcass that would pinch together and puncture protects from pinch punctures. Um, the other uh, function of a tire insert, which as I say not all of them um, are there to do, is to offer extra tire stability. So when you when you corner with a low pressure, the tire rolls on the rim. And having some having a, a piece of foam in there that's tightly wrapped around the rim and and pushes against the sidewall prevents the tire from rolling side to side. And some people claim that um, it improves uh, the the feel of the tire. It improves cornering traction. You can run lower pressures with less chance of rolling the tire off the rim. So in the mountain bike side of things, they're fairly well established. Um, they're very marmite. 
Um, I've with colleagues here who swear by them and colleagues here who swear at them. Um, I haven't really used them very much because I am mechanically incompetent and <laughs> generally speaking, I think we've, we've learned this from your tubeless, tubeless setup woes. Yes, yes. I'm not a, not a fan of adding <laughs> complication. However, and so thus far on um, gravel bikes, I haven't used them much. I have been on rides with people who have punctured torn t- uh, sidewalls um, and using a cush core setup uh, and then being able to ride home 20 or 30 kilometers just on using the foam um, and the tire with no air in. And that is obviously a massive benefit of them is that it's a get home uh, sort of safe system. Um, but I have just received this morning in the post um, Rimpact's uh, tire inserts for it's actually for their cross um, uh, tires and wheels, so uh, thirty-five to forty-five C widths, and they have a gravel insert coming. Um, the reason why I've done that is because obviously, um, as I sort of mentioned, I've, I'm, I'm going bike packing. Um, I don't like punctures, uh, and so the thought of having some extra puncture protection, especially for the rear wheel, for me was really interesting. Um, I did chat to Simon Bromley um, and Warren Roster about inserts a few weeks ago in the office. Um, my worry, kind of, I'd ridden a bike with inserts and also with a set of tyres that I'd not ridden before and it felt horrible. Like it dragged and it felt really slow and painful and I was like, God, so that put me right off. Um, but uh, Simon is more scientifically or technically minded than I and he's done some research and apparently it, it, they can cost maybe a watt or two um so that is relatively meager um and so I think it was just the tires that my friend was running on his gravel bike were just terrible tires that I would <laughs> never want to put on my bike um so yeah I've got I've got some um, inserts which I'm going to put in mostly at the rear to protect against punctures um so so how are we going to find out how you how they fare um in approximately 14 weeks time when I come back into the office I'll tell you if I had any punctures I'll be checking out your stories yeah, actually there yeah there'll be stories as well there'll <laughs> there be we stories go. yeah there we go um so yeah yeah that's my that's my uninformed take on the tire insert big in mountain biking um I think potential in gravel riding if you're someone who is looking for those qualities nice well we'll keep our eyes peeled to hear how you uh hang on that doesn't make any sense <laughs> Keep our eyes peeled. Well, we'll wait to hear from you how you get on with those. But that's definitely an interesting thing that I think we could be seeing a little bit more of in the gravel world in uh, coming years. I think so. I, th- I, I, I think they're a really interesting type of product. And I think there's a lot we could talk. I mean, I could talk for a long time about this sort of thing. And I don't think our listeners really want to listen to me <laughs> rabbit on about it all. But um, there's there's lots of pros and cons. And, and you know, some, some people will find the work really well for them. Other people may think it's a, a waste of 80 quid. So drop a post in suspension for gravel bikes. We've obviously had a major launch this year with SRAM bringing out their Explore Axis with the uh, RockShox Rudy fork up front and then the Reverb Explore Axis drop a post. Is this something that anybody's tried any sort of short travel options on gravel bikes? What are your thoughts on adding suspension to uh, what's otherwise a rigid bike? Get a mountain bike. I've had some experience. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, uh, that's not necessarily my opinion. Yes, yeah. uh, but but a lot of people have that opinion. I've, I've had a, I have some experience with this. I guess um, I have. Yeah, so I've used the Lau fork extensively for years. Um, and I have used telescopic 
gravel suspension forks. So obviously there is the Rudy. Uh, Fox has just launched the 32 Taper Cast, I think they've called it. And obviously a lot of big noise about these two big brands bringing out their gravel forks, but there have been many others before these. It's just that they either weren't marketed very well or people didn't care about them because they weren't RockShox and, and Fox. Um, but anyway, that's my little little rant out of the way. Um, I think they're interesting. I think they certainly have a place in the right for the right person. I think they may be potentially easy to misunderstand what they are good and not good at. And I think each of them has their own unique performance attributes. So I guess you could split them into split forks into I reckon four camps you've got your rigid fork the classic one where you know much like a, a row bike fork where it's a rigid fork um you'd have the lauf which is a leaf sprung um fork uh so you, you're using glass fiber leaf springs to connect uh these two dog links that link to the front legs of the fork uh, with a friction free undamped 30 mil of travel you have telescopic forks, which are borrowing a lot of tech from mountain bike forks. Um, so that's, you know, your, your Fox 32 Tapercast, that's your RockShox Rudy, MRP have one, uh, various other iterations out there, obviously Lefty. Um, and then there's the specialized Future Shock, which uh, mounts suspension above the head tube and suspends the handlebars, but not the bike. Um, this is probably another thing that I could probably rabbit on a long time about um with various opinions um but yeah i think they're all they're all interesting and i think you can't tarnish them all with you can't paint them all with the same brush i think they do different things depending on the design of what you've gone for so run us through the laugh you've been using that fork for a few years now what is it that that does for you that makes you think it's worthwhile Okay, so the, the Lauf fork is, I'll say what it's good at and I'll say what it's not good at. It's very good at tuning out super high frequency, low amplitude buzz. So when you're riding along, um, yeah, like a classic gravel road, it just smooths everything out because there's no friction. Okay, and that just means that it's, it's super reactive to little bumps and, and everything. Where it's not so good at is if you because it's not it's not damped. So damping is the control of the springs um, movement. So uh, effectively, the lav fork is just like a classic spring you get out of your ballpoint pen. You know, it just like twang. You know, it twangs up and down. A damping would stop that twang in its path and slow it down. And that's what a mountain bike fork. They all rely on those, and that's why the the lav mountain bike fork wasn't very good. But um, a telescopic fork has oil dampers in there, which slow it down and give you a bit more control over the stroke of the fork. The issue with those is that they have seals and seals introduces friction. And on super high frequency, low amplitude buzz, friction is inevitably going to impact on how well it, the fork copes with those. It might feel great when it's box fresh, but over time it's going to need a bit more maintenance to look after it. However, because it's got damping, um, and the structure of those telescopic forks means they're a little bit stiffer than the lav fork, which can twist and twang a little bit in the wrong situations. Um, and that damping does mean you have a bit more control over it. You're also going to have a lockout on this. So if you are on the road and you want something absolutely solid, you can have that. And then if you look at the future shock, the the forks that sort of sit underneath the head tube suspend the bike. So the frame itself moves less when you hit a bump. And that, in theory, means it's faster as far as i can tell it should be a faster thing the future shock suspends the handlebar so while it improves the comfort it doesn't stop the bike from oscillating over those bumps 
very fascinating. I'm like nerding out right now. I'm just sat here like, oh, Tom, I can listen to you talk forever. <laughs> 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 haven't used any of this stuff, but like my, it just takes me back to my mechanical engineering degree, just hearing all these springs. Oh and God, you're probably way more yes. qualified than I am. I'm gonna <laughs> this, is, this is really Jack, good amplitude and frequencies. I'm like podcast. having a whale of a time just listening to you right now. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. It's, you know, like on a mountain bike, there's very few people who ride mountain bikes now without suspension because it's so proven that it makes you faster, it makes you more comfortable and it reduces fatigue. And I get like the the classic, the traditionalist view of, you know, if it's got suspension, just ride a mountain bike. But I do think they're, they're different and I think they, they they do different things and they're there for a different reason. Um so yeah, each has their pluses and minuses. Absolutely. I think I might be stuck in the dark ages because I do really enjoy a rigid bike. But I think there's so much that can be done by altering your tyre pressures and just tweaking that in terms of giving you more comfort um, that obviously might cost you much less or nothing compared to forking out if it's like, I know Redshift do um, a stem that has an elastomer, changeable elastomer in it. So you get a little bit of um, vibration absorption up front or... Uh, then moving on to the sort of more mountain bike analogous suspension that's been uh, around for a little while and sort of heightened in popularity recently. Um, I think this is probably somewhere where we'll see a bit more growth in gravel over the next few years. And there's quite a few brands that are now building suspension into their bikes, um, like the BMC, for example. I think something like 20 mil on the rear. Um, and I think we'll probably see a little bit more of that uh, for, for riders looking for a little bit more comfort um, I don't think it's quite been proven yet just whether these suspension systems do make them faster or not. I, I think I, I, I would I would argue that they, they almost if you exclude pan flat or pan smooth mid-American like basically tarmac roads that happen to be a bit dusty, I would put I'd put money on suspended bikes being faster so long as it's suspended in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, like, take the, you know, the Lauf, True Grit and the Segler, they are race bikes. Um, and they're designed, they're not designed for bikepacking. They're not designed to be, like, bimbling around the countryside. They're designed to be, you know, arse up, head down race bikes. And they're smoother. And thus, it means you can pedal better. You can, you're more comfortable. And you can pedal longer. And I generally, I would generally put money on them being faster. Uh, I'm also in the camp that <coughs> of... Um... <clears throat> sorry sorry <laughs> excuse me excuse me i'd um i'd also say that i think in the future we're going to see way more uh thought being put into the rear part of the bike in the comfort that you can get from the rear part because i think it's um yeah like you said there's quite a few options for suspending the front part of the bike like you know you can you could go down the route of a of a stem like the redshift stem or if you're lucky enough to, you could get suspension um aftermarket um so yeah but i think in terms of sort of frame design i think we're going to see that change quite dramatically over the next few years because i think that's just it's not something that you can upgrade particularly easily um obviously you can get as wide a tire as you can fit in your frame but you're pretty much limited to what the, the kind of design and the construction and the materials of of what the frame is made out of um so yeah, when you when you've experienced sort of that washboard gravel, and you're hitting that at speed, over time it wears you right down, and um, I, I've no doubt that you'd be faster because you're less fatigued if you had that sort of comfort built in. Um, I was wondering how much of a difference do seat posts and you know this you know, 
solar suspension supus and things like that, how much difference does that make to comfort compared to, um, you know, frame and, and other parts? It's a really good question, actually. And I, I, I kind of missed that out there. But yeah, suspension seat posts are um, another upgrade that you can make to, to help that rear um, suspension. I think you've got to be careful with a suspended seat post because they, if they have like a parallel parallelogram design where, you know, they offer genuine like travel, you're, you're changing the dynamics of the distance between the cranks. And, and where you're sat and so that will have an impact um, I run a uh, Canyon VCLS 2 seat post on my Lauf uh, which is like a, a a two-piece seat post that has a bit of more for back flex again just take the buzz out it doesn't have like lots of vertical travel um, but it, it certainly helps reduce buzz um, and as uh, Felix alluded to you know there are numerous bikes coming out now with those uh, slightly flexier or vertically compliant back ends, whether it's the Segler or the Topstone or the URS or various other ones. Um, and I think there is there is an element of, of, of additional comfort from there, which will uh, impact on sort of fatigue and, and thus speed. Um, I don't think anyone's sort of sus- suspecting that. Remember the Niner full suspension gravel bike that came out <laughs> Eurobike about four or five years ago? Yeah. Utterly terrible. Um, I don't think we're going to see bikes like that coming, but I think we will see a lot more bikes coming with yeah compliance, like genuine compliance built into frames. Definitely. And going back to what you were saying about the future shock there on Specialized and how you know suspension is going to be some of the smoothest and fastest, we have seen a whole raft of pro wins on the Specialized Diverge across the American gravel scene um, with riders such as Alison Tetrick. Um, and Lawrence Ten Dam doing exceptionally well on some of those bikes. So whether you agree that they're effective or not, um, you know, they're really racking up oh, quite I a don't, number of I wins. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I, I don't think they're ineffective. Mm. I, I think also Specialized can get some good athletes on their bikes. Um, <laughs> I think I, I, I think the – I can't remember where I – I can't give you a source, sadly, but the, the, the science of suspending the bike over the handlebars is is fairly – I'd say it's fairly robust. Um, if the bike is not pitching backwards and forwards over something, it is going to run smoother. And, and a telescopic fork or a, you know, a fork-based suspension will do that more than a stem-based one. You will obviously get the comfort or a lot of the comfort benefits from a stem or from a from a future shock. But I would still suggest back to back to back, a properly suspended frame will be better personally. Mm. Definitely somewhere where but, we're going to see. I mean, see... I ain't Lawrence Tendam, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he can he can beat me on anything. I'm sure. Put him on my mum's shopping bike, and he'd beat me. <laughs> Brilliant. So I think we should wrap up with some uh, setup tips, specifically for those who are looking at uh, loading up with bags and travelling off, as Tom is about to do, and as I'm sure we've all got some exciting plans to do this summer. Are there any particular modifications that you can make to your bike or things that you've tried, Vera, um, to make your gravel bike more bikepacking friendly? Well, I mean, um, when getting it made or when I was getting my custom bike built, I just asked for as many mounting points as possible, really. And that's, you know, everywhere across the bike. I've got like four bosses on each fork and um, the down tube and everything. And it's just maximising where you can put bottle holders and be able to put tools and that sort of thing um really helpful um 
my setup is pretty standard. So yeah, if I'm going sort of bikepacking, I've got a half frame bag. I've got um, bottle cages, which are side side and side entry. Is that what you call them? So, um, but it just makes it easier just reaching for, for stuff. And that I found that one of the biggest helps because I, I couldn't get a frame bag and a bottle that I'm pulling up the top at the same time. I know it's, it's, it's one of those minor things. Um, I still just use a normal type um, saddle bag. I haven't tried one of those tail fin uh, arrangements, but <clears throat> I do also have the option for pannier if I'm going for a more relaxed um, relaxed ride. Um, but yeah, struggling to think what else I'd, I'd have on there really. Um, but yeah. Nice. How about you, Tom? What have you got planned for your setup for your big trip? Have you got that far yet? I no, I, I I've I have just sent an email to someone about getting hold of some bits. I've I've, I've been very lucky to have been lent um, a tail fin um, setup for the bike, um, which would be great. So I've got a tail fin on the back with uh, two of the ten liter bags to go on the side. Uh, um, after this, I'm going to go and grab some bags for the fork as well um and a uh something else that um they've asked me not really to talk about at the moment. um <laughs> and i will have a frame bag as well i mean i'm going for six weeks yeah um i intend to be comfortable um for six weeks and if you leave um, in the uk that's a lot of tea bags that's a lot of you need a lot of tea bags where, where are you off to tom sorry if they don't mind oh, i'm gonna go and uh, i'm not doing the whole route but i'm gonna go and ride uh, a portion of the european divide um, so the European Divide goes from Portugal to the north of Norway, um, and I am flying to Barcelona in three weeks' time, uh, and I'm going to head north, um, hopefully somewhere in northern Germany or Denmark, somewhere like that. Um, so that's the, that's the plan. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I've got yeah tail fin largely set up, um, an Apertura frame bag um, as well, just to make sure I've got everything um, carried with plenty of food. Um, and like you said, like side loading bottle cages is going to be really handy um for because of the frame bag um my one little bit of luxury other than a kindle um <laughs> is i have bought myself a helinox camping chair so wow. i have a very comfortable 500 gram uh camping chair and i uh i justified it to myself because i basically bankrupted myself on lightweight sleeping equipment so my uh, my mat and my bag and my pillow weighs under a kilo combined so i was like i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have a camping chair so yeah <laughs> just to offset that I'd, very yeah. lightweight kit that's the thing I, I figured if i was gonna go for like a week then i would i would go like super 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 light but if i'm gonna go for six weeks i want to sit down and not on the floor for six weeks Fair enough. How about you, Felix? When you've been on some of your longer travels, are there any specific uh, changes that you've made to your bike setup to accommodate for that? Uh, yeah, a couple, a um, couple of things. I think the easy one and the kind of nice one for me is is bar tape. Quite often, you get a standard kind of thin-ish bar tape on on a bike that comes um, stock. So yeah, get a nice squishy bar tape, and then getting the right. And that's a, do a dodgy one to do just before a trip. Um, but uh, saddle, obviously, saddle comfort's major thing. Yeah, and so hard for you know to give any recommendations out. But I think the width of your saddle is obviously uh, one of the things that you can actually um, check yourself and you know make sure that the saddle that you wear you've actually got at the minute is not too narrow or too wide for you. Um, 
and you, you can actually do that quite easily with a piece of tin foil on a step and um, do, do some measurements. I think there is a, a bike radar article that helps you do that. Um, so yeah, I'd say uh, your contact points are obviously really important. Um, and then your, your footwear as well. Um, maybe this isn't to do with the bike, but I suppose um, you're making that decision whether or not you're going to go flats or SPD pedals that you'd use on a mountain bike or gravel bike, or you want to go full road. Uh, if you know, if you maybe hardly doing any gravel on your route, then you might want your trusty road shoes. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say don't be afraid to go for flats if you if you're not used to clipping in. You know, you don't want the pressure of that. Especially if you're going for like a longer distance thing, you just and and you're not all about speed. Um, then being able to just hop off your bike into a shop without slipping over on the <laughs> supermarket floor. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I think there's yeah there's there's things like that 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 can just make things make it just a little bit more enjoyable. Brilliant. Well, I think that wraps up many different aspects of gravel bike setup. Thank you very much, Vera, Tom and Felix for joining us today and best of luck in all of your upcoming challenges and adventures. I hope there's been plenty of gems in there for you today, but if you'd like even more about gravel bike setup, then of course there's a comprehensive guide on bikeradar.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast and while we are there, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. Stay tuned for loads more of where this came from too, with our top tips for planning a dreamy gravel ride coming up next week. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 